My name is Jules Henningberg, and you're listening to Pro Across Talk. On Schreiber. Snyder with scores! Now scores! Ball Rabel splits two and scores! Kylie Omiller showing off those shifty skills. Kelly, not shy, bounces one home! What a start! Welcome to the Pro Lacrosse Talk podcast. I'm Hutton, he's Adam. Together we have all the latest news from all your favorite professional lacrosse leagues. Welcome everyone to the first in-person episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. I'm here with PLL All-Star and Redwoods Tackman, Jules Henningberg. Uh, Jules, thank you for joining me for episode 12. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you having me. Uh, we're in northern New Jersey now. Um, you attended Columbia High School for two seasons. Uh, you've talked in the past about how Maplewood legend Bobby Bianchi was one of the reasons you wear number seven. He played with your father, Gus Henningberg. He also played lacrosse at the Naval Academy. Uh, he'd served in the Navy until his tragic death in a helicopter crash in 1987. Uh, but how did his story influence you and your high school lacrosse career? Yeah, so when I was younger, we played for, like all the guys in our town, played a rec team called Maplewood Lacrosse Club, um, obviously in, in Maplewood. And it was one of the few clubs that had been around for a long time. So when I was, I think I was in fifth grade, we celebrated the 50th year anniversary of the club. So it was one of the first ones established with another uh, club, Montclair, which is a couple of towns over. So growing up, there was a huge tradition in our town with, with lacrosse. And, and one of the things that they kind of celebrated was number seven. So when you were growing up, that jersey, you couldn't wear it. So it was, it was a really special thing in our town. So when you first started playing or <clears throat> when any of the guys were around, you know, they'd ask about, oh, what number seven? And you kind of hear the story, the, the tradition, the history of, of what number seven meant and who Bobby Bianchi was and, and how much he did for the lacrosse community of Maplewood and, and how influential he was in so many people's lives. And uh, during that time that he was alive in, uh, in Maplewood and playing for Columbia, it was, just, it was just one of those times where, you know, if you were around, it, it, was, it was similar, I think, to what you think of like Texas football, you mm-hmm. know, yep. one of those cultures Absolutely. where everyone's just involved, every, uh, the whole town is behind the team and everyone just loves, loves the guys, loves uh, just the pride and tradition of what's going on. So to hear that growing up and hear how, how awesome it was to be a part of, you know, and hear the leader of that was Bobby Bianchi and, and the type of character he had and the, the player he was. That was just something when, when I was younger that kind of stuck with me, and, and I always strive to kind of try to be that and, and want to be number seven. So when I was younger, like I said, it was kind of just, it stuck with me, and then it kind of just carried on through, uh, through high school. And I wore number four in high school and number six because he couldn't wear number seven. And when I got to college, mm-hmm. you know, it was just one of those things where I was like, number seven's available. You know, I want to honor that legacy and honor someone that, you know, really inspired me to have a passion for the game and a love for the game, something to strive for, someone to – to try to beat, you know, I always talk, heard about his his stats and, and how much he meant and, and how good he was. So it was just someone I looked up to a lot, and I didn't even know him, which is the crazy part. I just heard the stories about him, the, the history, the tradition of him. So it was just someone I always wanted to strive to be. And like, like I said, when I got to Rutgers, I, I, I picked number seven and kind of just carried that on through uh, the pro ranks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and you mentioned, you know, Bianchi was a, a local guy. And, you know, you actually, um, you did really well when you transferred to Seton Hall Prep. Um, you were an All-American, high school All-American, but you were under-recruited a little bit, um, but you did stay at home. You played at Rutgers. Did you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder? You know, being under recruited out of high school. Yeah, I think you know the the recruiting circuit for me was a, a little bit weird, just because I didn't know, I didn't understand it uh, what I should have been doing exactly. I wasn't in the the clique of lacrosse. That I think you could you can kind of say I was kind of an outsider. So when I was a junior, uh, I got I a sophomore. Um, my apologies. I was mm-hmm. sitting in class and I remember just seeing on Twitter a bunch of guys starting to commit to schools, and I was very confused because I didn't know that. You know, anyone was trying to get recruited yet, and mm-hmm. they had actually just bumped the timeline up a year earlier from what I thought it was, which was rising junior year. So I didn't really uh, get recruited by too many schools that summer because I wasn't trying to get recruited, and I wasn't playing serious club ball. So then I came back my junior year, I got recruited by Rutgers, 
and uh, a couple other schools, but it was kind of a, a situation where I definitely needed the money financially. I was going to have to pay for college on my own. So mm -hmm. uh, I looked at schools that I could afford on myself. So it, Navy was one of my final choices, which was going to be free. And then Delaware uh, was going to be pretty cheap as well. And then Rutgers, obviously. And it was one of those things where Coach Brack, he, he sold me on the fact that I could come in there and, and I have the chance to start as a freshman and have the chance to change the program and change the culture. I really believed I could do that. And uh, personally, I, that was something I, I felt strongly about. I felt uh, I had something in me that was telling me that I could do that as well. So I kind of followed followed through with that and went, over, went on to Rutgers. And I had hoped that it would help, you know, kind of translate a little bit more in terms of the recruiting and, and seeing more New Jersey guys go there. Just because I think there's a bit of a stigma attached to Rutgers with the New Jersey lacrosse uh, circuit and the, and the kids that are from here. And I just think guys kind of look down upon it. Look, You know, maybe it's not the best school. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. So I look to kind of change that a little bit. And I think we've still struggled so far a little bit trying to get the top New Jersey recruits. So I hope, you know, the legacy that we left there and, and what we try to build there can uh, continue to, to get those New Jersey kids to commit there. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, you, you made some noise. I mean, you, you were ranked, you know, top 10 multiple times there. You came away with 207 points, which ranked second all time at Rutgers. Uh, so you certainly made some noise, you know, as a freshman and then continue through your senior season. And then, you know, you, you got drafted uh, professionally. Um, you know, you're, you're with the Seals now. And Paul, you know, just came up with the Premier Lacrosse League. What kind of got you on board, you know, joining, uh, you know, the movement to start this new professional lacrosse league? And what got you excited about it? And did you have any doubts going into it as well? Yeah, I think it, it kind of translates back to how I was recruited. You know, I, I think uh, I, I bet on myself a lot in terms of what I think I can do and was presented with the opportunity with the PLL. And I saw a lot of... Uh, a lot of different things that, that were put on the table, you know, playing with the best players in the world, the attention it could bring in terms of the media and, and building my own personal brand in, in the sport. And I want to do big things in the sport. So I knew that in, in the back of my mind that if I wanted, they want to take a jump to that next level, that I had to be a part of that league. And I really never had any doubts about it just because I, I, I trust the guys that, you know, started it and they've paved the way and they've been in this game for a long time. So they, they've seen a lot of stuff and, and they really know how things work. And I, I, at the end of the day, you know, I think playing against the best players is, is what you want to do as a competitor. So I knew that the best players are going to be playing there, and that's what I wanted to do. So just being able to prove myself every week and, and you know, playing with the best guys on game day and with the national media attention we're getting, you know, just, I don't think you can beat that. And I knew deep down that that's what it was going to be. So it was pretty much a no-brainer for me. Awesome. Yeah, and, you know, going off of that, I mean, you've been asked that a lot. You, you were on the Whip Snakes initially, <clears throat> um, and you got traded. You were the first trade uh, to the Redwoods. Tell me about that experience. Did you kind of have a chip on your shoulder for that? You know, it's kind of like, again, you're, you're, you're a big part of the Whip Snakes, but they weren't utilizing you as much. You go to the Redwoods where you get that chance to be that number one guy on attack. You know, did you see that as an opportunity? Um, did you kind of play with a chip on your shoulder? Or did you kind of just go out and play lacrosse like you always have? Yes, I think, it, you know, for me, I think there's always something to the story. The day I got traded, I saw my coach calling me. I knew right away I played well the last week, so I knew that he wasn't going to bench me. You know, that's mm -hmm. a each each week you know guys are compete for roster spots so you never really know but I knew that I played a good game so I, I was a little skeptical as if I was going to get benched so I kind of knew I thought in the back of my head that I was getting traded mm -hmm. I know the week it just opened up the trade block so it's tough getting traded you know never want you never want that to happen at the end of the day it worked out well for me and I know that both my coaches had my best interest in mind but you know you still kind of feel um a, a bit unwanted you know no mm -hmm. matter how, yeah. how you really cut it so um you know, just just being leaving that team, we were undefeated, the best team in the league at that time. It was tough for me. I, I built a lot of relationships, but it's been awesome playing for Coach Nat, Coach Dom, you know, Todd over on our team for the Redwoods. Now getting to know the new guys. There's a couple guys I already knew on that team, and uh, we're doing well so far. We're building a lot of chemistry on offense, and I think we're getting better each week. 
And um, I'm just excited to kind of kind of keep developing that those relationships with those guys and keep competing and, and bringing to the table what I what I can do every week. Mm-hmm, absolutely. The first game in the Redwoods, you know, you went off. You had five goals, three assists. Coach St. Laurent, like, did he talk to you a little bit about like bringing you on and like talk to you about like their philosophy going into it? Um, and you know, what kind of <clears throat> led you to buy into that? Yeah, definitely. So we played the Redwoods in training camp. So I, I played well against them. I think Coach Nat. You know, saw me there and, and saw a little bit of my potential, and, and I know he, he saw me play before, saw me play in college, saw me play in, uh, last year's pro league. So I think, uh, you know, they kind of had an idea of what I could bring to the table and, and my potential, like I said. So when I spoke to him on the phone, he kind of let me know what they expected out of me and why mm-hmm. they traded for me and, and why what they how they thought of me. So kind of coming into game day, you know, I I always expect myself to play, you know, up to 90 percentile of my potential. Every time I step on the field, that's the goal. Uh, you're never going to play your best every time, but that's that's my goal. I prepare to that, prepare to do that, and I I know what I bring to the table, and and I think a lot of people may not know that about me, or before may have not known, you know, my skill sets or what my potential was. But deep down, I always know what I bring to the table, and I think Coach Nat and Coach Dom saw what I saw in myself, and mm-hmm. they just they gave me the opportunity, uh, afforded me the opportunity to kind of show the rest of the world lacrosse space um, what that was. So we were kind of on the same page about uh, my skill sets and, and what I was, my abilities and what I'm able to do, and they just you know open the floodgates and do what you got to do, man. Help us win games and, and be, be the player you are. So that's kind of what happened. Yeah, yeah you certainly did. Um, let's talk about your business a little bit. You really pride yourself in your dodging ability. Um, so you started Jukes Lab. Uh, how's it been, you know, running your own business? Um, and have you considered changing your name from Jules to Jukes at any point? <laughs> so uh, I, th- I think uh, the Juke Lab stuff, it kind of started off. I, uh, I love, you know, the, just teaching the game and, and really having a full grasp on why things work and, and why you should be doing certain things on the field. That's just kind of how my mind's always worked and how I've learned. So I've kind of taken that, that mindset and some of the things that coaches have taught me and, and my observations of how people have dodged over the years and, and kind of turned that into my own way of teaching. So, you know, it started with the Juke Lab and it's, it was kind of a running joke on uh, with the guys and on the teams I've been playing on and stuff. But I think it's kind of started to catch on when people have seen me play more and seen like my dodging ability and what I can do, breaking down defenders one-on-one. And uh, so now that it's starting to catch fire a little bit, so guys are seeing that and then players are seeing that, hey, like if I can dodge like that, you know, I'll be able to get open. So my whole philosophy with it is, is just being deliberate about, about your movements on the field and, and having intentional intentional movements. So I think a lot of kids when they grow up, you know, kind of just dodge just to dodge. And I was the same way in high school and early in college. I would just do things, not really having a plan of action or an understanding of why things were working and, and why things weren't working and so sometimes you'd be successful sometimes you wouldn't so I think that kind of switching that train of thought to having a plan and either you're going to be successful with the execution of the plan it's going to work or you're going to you know kind of half-ass it or you're going to be tired or not fully commit to the move and it's not going to work and I think once kids kind of grasp that and wrap their head around it then they're more in control of, of their dodges and, and their abilities to get open so I'm kind of trying to teach kids that and, and get them to understand that a little bit more because I know that's what helped me. And, uh, I think people are seeing now that it's I, I get open a lot one on one, and the reason is I, I learned that you have to be have a plan of action, and then once you commit to it and, and really try to make it work, then you can go to your kind of second level, you know, those reactionary movements and and the secondary dodges in your plan in your arsenal. You can tell when you dodge, like you're really intentional about, like you said, where you're going. Um, you know, whether it's from X or even from the the wing as well. You don't take any extra steps you know mm-hmm. and you can kind of tell that in the way you play so i think that's you know interesting the cool thing about lacrosse is that we're starting to get you know more athleticism into the game mm-hmm. not that it wasn't there before but you know we have guys like you that are really thinking about um how you can gain an edge um whether it's footwork or you know 
putting the extra work in the weight room. So I mm-hmm. think that's important, you know, definitely from a youth perspective. For sure. So let's talk a little bit about the SEALs. Uh, you were drafted on the NLL expansion team in the SEALs. Mm-hmm. I mean, how's it been, you know, being in San Diego? I've never been, but, you know, I heard the weather out there is probably better than it is on the East Coast right now. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. The weather out there, you know, it's sunny every day pretty much. It's about 70 degrees to 80 degrees for the most part. And just the community out there is awesome. It was our first year with San Diego. Kind of had to build up you know, the lacrosse brand a little bit out there. And, and I think people really took to it. So it was exciting to be a part of that team. I didn't play too much. Um, just being on the practice roster, I got in for one game. I actually uh, got kicked out of that game that I got in. And, um, but you had it was, a goal, though, right? Yeah, I scored yeah. a goal, but it was uh, to learn from the guys I did. You know, I had uh, pretty legends of the game that I didn't even know were legends before mm-hmm. I started playing box. You know, guys like Garrett Billings, uh, Dan Dawson, you know, Kyle Buchanan on, uh, on the right side, just to name a couple guys, and, and the coaching staff. You know, it was, it was just an unbelievable experience, and I had a great time. I'm excited to get back there next year, you know, keep playing, keep playing the game. I think it's helped me immensely out in the field. Uh, at first, I was a little wary about how – it was going to translate in training camp early on, but now that I've been playing a little bit, you kind of readjust to the field game. I've I've seen a lot of different little uh, tweaks to my game that have really helped me a lot, and uh, so I was grateful for the experience, and I, I definitely want to continue playing box for uh, for as long as I can. Yeah, it's, it's awesome because you hadn't played before, had you? No. And I, we talked to Tom Schreiber about that a little bit too. How um, you know it's like you're already at one level, but you kind of add to your arsenal by you know experiencing the box game. So I think that's awesome that you know it's kind of helping you in your um, field game, but it's probably, you know, the field game probably helps a little bit too in your um, yeah. box game being, as well. So. Being an athlete in the box definitely helps. Yeah, for sure. So going off of that, uh, you know, I, I have to notice you're, you have 56 tattooed to your arm. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the meaning behind that? Um, tell me a little bit about that story. Yeah, so I have uh, 56. The, the rest of my family and uh, my cousin, we got this tattooed on us. Um, it actually represents my cousin, uh, Max Holloway. Mm-hmm. He uh, wore 56 at Boston College and he, uh, he tragically passed away in a car accident my junior year. And uh, when we were growing up, uh, my cousins, they, uh, both of them played Division One football, Boston College of Maryland. Their dad, um, Brian Holloway, was an NFL um, pro bowler, um, excellent player, played, had, had a great career in the Patriots and the Raiders. And uh, we would always go up to their house for, uh, for the summers and stuff, and we'd call it Farm Brian. We'd go up there and train and, and just stay up there for a month and, and kind of just hang out and, and learn what it was like to you know, experience those guys, you know, they're at that time were getting recruited slash playing division one football. So it was awesome to be a young kid, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, seeing these guys train and seeing these guys, you know, how, how much they cared, how much passion they had and what they did to get to that level. So it was kind of something for us to, to look up to and, and aspire to be. So it was, um, it was definitely heartbreaking when that happened. And it, it kind of, uh, you know, makes you look back on your experiences and really think about what, what you cared about and what, what things meant to you. So, um, it was definitely a no-brainer for me to get him tattooed just because, you know, I look back on it and, and how much seeing him and what he had to do and his brother and, and that side of the family, what, what they did, you know, it inspired me in so many different ways as a young kid that you may not think about at the time when you're a young guy. So um, just to ha- I got this tattoo, you know, just to have that memory, just to, have, to kind of carry that legacy on and, and never forget him. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of nice to touch on family a little bit because um, I think that's the nice thing about the lacrosse community is we're a close-knit community. Um, very family oriented. Um, you know, obviously it's a tragedy what happened to your cousin, but that you are able to honor his legacy in that way. So mm-hmm. I, th- I thought I'd ask because you know I don't know if anybody really has touched on that before. Yeah, for great. sure. No. Great. Going off that a little bit, we're in the bye week right now. Only three more games left in the season. You guys are sitting four and three. How's Coach Saint Laurent kind of like gotten you guys to refocus going into the you know last stretch of the season? And you know what are your expectations uh, for the end of this PLL season? Yeah, so we we obviously just had a tough loss to Atlas. You know, I think uh, they're blown us out i think the biggest 
goal differential has been so far this season and just goes to show how competitive this league really is and you can't take any games off just because you have the best players in the world competing at the highest level every week so that was a wake-up call for us I think in a number of ways I think it also just showed our, showed our vulnerability a little bit and humbled us you know I think our defense has played amazing all year I think they had a, a tough tough go a little bit um and some penalties you know that maybe weren't warranted and kind of just affect the momentum we've had some injuries with the face-off X as well and I think Timmy Troutner had a had his first game where, you know, he didn't play like an all-star. So I think a lot of different things affected that game. But I think it's just a, a little bump in the road that, you know, a little bit of refocusing with the bye week, you know, I think we're right there in terms of a, the playoff stretch and, and making a run at this championship. And I'm excited, you know, an, another bye week just gives us a chance to rest our bodies, keep training hard, keep getting in shape, you know, keep working on our stick skills. And I think we're going to come back and, and I don't know if it's going to be a surprise, but I think people, you know, maybe after watching that game saw how big of a blowout it was to start. You know, I think people maybe mm-hmm. like, oh, a little concerned about us, but... I think people will be uh, a little bit surprised when you come back next week. Yeah, well, you never wavered. I think you guys will be fine going into the last stretch of the season. So with that, let's uh, segue into our question mark, which is our segment where we ask questions that fans have submitted to us. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first one I want to ask is, were you more nervous at the beginning of the PLL season or when you started with your Redwoods team? I think beginning of the PLL season, just because the game itself was different. We shortened the field, shorter shot clock. You're playing with a new team. Everything is so different, and the media attention, you know, all that stuff's a lot of things that you have to mentally prepare for and, and mm-hmm. really take in. And I think that uh, in those first couple of games, it was definitely a, a little. Ner- I don't say nervous is the right word, but it was all new to me, so it was kind of it was different. So, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, it was an adjustment for everyone. I think now that you're seeing guys are in the swing of things, and everything's kind of getting easier um, in terms of that the mental side of it. You know, walking out into a stadium with you know seven thousand, eight thousand, ten thousand people is different than walking to a stadium with 500 people. Mm-hmm. You know? So yep. it's, it's adjustments like that that maybe you don't think about as a fan, but you have to really account for as a player. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, so Mark White asks, what is your favorite part of the professional lacrosse lifestyle, and uh, what is your least favorite? My favorite part is the fact that I get to compete every weekend with, with a team that I love, you know, playing with the guys and being in the locker room. That it's just one of those things that as an athlete, you know, you, you can't recreate it. So I love that part of it. I love the freedom of the of my lifestyle. I think um, I, I make my own hours. I do my own work. Um, I control my own destiny in terms of what I want to do in my career. So I think that's awesome. I think uh, one of the negative aspects is the travel. You know, it can be a lot on your body. I've, I've been traveling every week for uh, the whole summer, you know, outside of the games. I travel mm-hmm. every week pretty much. So you're not in your, your actual hometown as much as being able to sit down and relax, you know, have a drink, have some coffee, you know, have some dinner and, and not think about traveling too much. So that's a little bit taxing. And uh, other than that, uh, not, not too many negatives. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so Sequoia Squad, he's one of the, the fan accounts for the Redwoods. <laughs> yeah. uh, he wants to know which one of your Redwoods teammates is the funniest. Uh, probably, I don't want to say it. I don't want to give him the credit, but Nick Osella okay. is probably the funniest. <laughs> um, you guys had a little bit of a scuffle in training camp, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, that's just the heat of the moment, you know, yeah, being, being a competitor. Yeah, no, no. It, was, it wasn't even him that hit me. I was, it, was, yeah. it was Landis. He's <laughs> also my boy, so it's, just, it's, all, it's all fun. That's great. Um, Preston Weaver asks, what's the travel schedule like, uh, you know, a typical travel day, and, you know, how are your pregame days um, before your walkthroughs? You know, kind of you touched on a little bit. but Yeah, so I think uh, we traveled. I started the travel in on two days before because I was going from West Coast to East Coast. Okay. Before, so it was, being, it was tough to go. West Coast to East Coast on a Friday, mm-hmm. and you, I was flying out like 5 a.m. Getting there, yeah. uh, if you had a layover, you're screwed. Yeah. And then you're getting in, you know, practice at 6:30. I'm getting in at 4:35, depending on how far the airport is. Dropping my bag, and not sometimes I even drop my bag, just going right to practice. Yeah, yeah. And my body's just my nervous system's just not functioning properly. So you go into practice, your body's just not there, and then 
quick turnaround, go to sleep, get your superfood, uh, which they provide for us. Uh, great service. We get um, little catered meals, awesome. um, super healthy. And then come game day, we uh, we wake up in the morning. You have uh, breakfast with your team downstairs. Um, and then you have uh, some time to yourself, and you head to locker room on the bus, and you get, you get to the game. Awesome. Um, Dan Arestia asks, when is Rutgers finally going to be on the right side of the NCAA tournament bubble? Uh, you guys have barely missed out. You know, I, yeah. I don't know if they need to add more teams or Rutgers needs to get the respect they deserve, but well, I, what do you think? I think uh, I don't think they need to add any more teams. I think that would just dilute the playing field okay, and, and yeah, kind of just uh, – I think if you look at the other, other uh, sports in NCAA, like basketball, I think the percentages are correct. Yep. The amount of teams that play, the, the teams that make the tournament. I think it's just a matter of you know just getting the right recruits there. Mm-hmm. I think I had a great class. Um, we came in and we had a huge chip on our shoulders, and I think we might have exceeded expectations in terms of across the country what what people thought we could do. I think there we knew what we had, and we just had happened to have a great collection of players, and uh, we had some injuries that you know were tough on us. That I think other teams have a lot more uh, more depth. Um, if a guy goes down, or if something happens, where for us it's it's more of a sink or swim mentality. The guys we have on game day, the guys we have on game day, and mm-hmm. we all have to play at our highest level to to beat those top teams, which we often did, you know. And mm-hmm. that's a lot to ask for um, out of anyone. And I think uh, not everyone's cut out to do that. So I think the guys that are there now are are working to uh, have a comeback season this year. There's a little bit of a down year last year, but they're a young team and new coaching staff, a lot of new different things. I think uh, Adam Charlembeidi is on the offensive side, and Kieran Mullins kind of leading the way there. Uh, two of the best uh, attackmen in the country, and I think you you get a couple of transfers in, you get a faceoff guy, and I think we'll be in good shape. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the Big Ten's stack. There's there's no easy team in that conference, so yeah. it's it's definitely tough. But you know, I, I think it's awesome to see like some of these programs, like a Penn State, that's actually you know having so much success, where you know it's kind of evening the playing field against these traditional schools like Syracuse, Hopkins, and stuff. So yeah, it, it's good for the sport for sure. So Eggsy asks is our last one. How do you think the PLL has set you up to establish a brand within the sporting world? I think uh, just the way that they go about their media and how they the, deliver it to the fans and then how they also give it to the players has really helped us. Uh, I think one of the things that the sport lacked was that kind of that connection, that fluidity between the league and the players. I think they kind of bridge that gap. And it's I think you see it on social media, you know, the campaigns with the players and you know, when, when the game's over, you know, guys have an Instagram up from right away or, mm-hmm. or something on Twitter, like a highlight retweet, whatever it is. And that instant, you know, kind of um, interaction with the fans, you know, that's the that's the connection that, you know, delivers that um, those that loyalty to, to the fans and keeps them coming back and then in turn help build our brand because we're interacting with them. And it's a, that, that cohesive relationship. And that's all because the league invested in that and, and believed that that was important to us. Um, not, not not only to us, but to them, because the bigger our brands get, the bigger the league gets, the bigger Absolutely. we get, the bigger yep. we get. So it's kind of that um, symbiotic relationship. And I think they've done an excellent job. They have a lot of different applications and, and ways that they go about it. And there's a small team, but they absolutely crush it every weekend. I think you've seen uh, their Instagram is uh, almost almost 200,000 followers, and we just mm-hmm, started yeah. this year. It just shows you know the trajectory of the league and what they're doing. And um, it's exciting to be a part of, exciting to be a young player right now. You know, In 10 years, who knows where this league will be and I think I'll be in my prime, you know, so yeah, it's, it's exciting. You know, Paul's not just a lacrosse player. He's a savvy businessman, and mm-hmm. I think they're doing some great stuff. So yeah. that's a good fan question we have. Um, so that wraps up our, our fan question segment. Uh, we're going to a quick break, and then we'll be right back into the action. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. 
The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, welcome back. Uh, now we have our five and five. Uh, we're going to do a Jersey edition. Um, it's a quick segment where I'm going to ask you five questions about lacrosse and then five just about in life in general. But uh, they're all going to be tied to New Jersey somehow. Um, so let's start off with the lacrosse ones. Uh, the first one is favorite lacrosse moment from Rutgers? Being Penn State sophomore year. There you go. Uh, next, what's an attribute or trait that sets Jersey lacrosse players apart from other players? Blue collar. Blue collar, all right. Yeah. Uh, which of these Jersey natives and current pro athletes do you think would make a, the best lacrosse player? We got Mike Trout, Greg Olson, or Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Just the way he moves on the basketball court, you know, his, his IQ, his vision. I think everything would directly translate to lacrosse. Right. I agree. Uh, when will the Jersey Jewels uh, Redwoods jersey be available on the Premier Lacrosse website? <laughs> I don't know. Some kid just commented on Instagram asking about that. I don't know. Soon. You got to make it happen, Premier Lacrosse. <laughs> it's not in my control. <laughs> Um, all right, this one's a bit of a cheat, but uh, jerseys tucked into the shorts, are you out or are you in? Landis rocks it on my team. I, <laughs> I think it's swaggy. I'm not on it yet, but okay. I might be soon. I'm wondering if it's going to be kind of like the mid-calves uh, flow of lacrosse, you know, kind of like um, when I was going through high school or whatever, like everyone had long hair and they rocked the mid-calves. I know I had like two double Nike socks. <laughs> um, probably look ridiculous now, yeah. but... Maybe that's where it's going. I don't know. Once we start seeing the youth players adopt it, so I used to wear some mid cap socks in my spare. Oh yeah, so <laughs> I like, probably still do that. Honestly. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> um, all right, now the life ones. Uh, favorite class at Rutgers. Ah, uh, favorite um, senior seminar for labor studies. My, okay. uh, my major. Yeah. Cool. Um, pork roll or Taylor ham. Taylor ham. It is, <laughs> it's like what is an Oreo? <laughs> It's a chocolate-covered cream sandwich, like chocolate-filled cream sandwich. It's an Oreo. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Uh, does Central Jersey exist? Why or why not? I say Central Jersey does exist because I went to Rutgers, and that's everyone's majority of people are from Central Jersey. So you have the South Jersey, the Philly people, want to mm-hmm. be Philly people. Yep. North Jersey, normal people. And then you have Central who are like just kind of hardo, want to be, you know, I don't know if they know they're North or South or whatever they are, but... Those just, I don't know. The ridic- most ridiculous people come from central Jersey, for okay. sure. All right. Uh, best place to grab a bite to eat in North Jersey? Northern Deli. Shout out Alex Schoen for that one. Okay. Yeah. Anything to get on the menu there? If I uh, the classic is Godfather. It's just a chicken cutlet, bacon, uh, mutts, um, Russian dressing, okay. toasted. Sounds good. Sub. I'm going to get that actually after this. Favorite Jersey Shore Beach to go to? Uh, Spring Lake, Manasquan, Seagirt area. That's awesome. That's good for me to know because that's where uh, my fiance's family lives and that's where I'm getting married. So um, I'm glad that you picked that because that actually makes me feel pretty good. Hell yeah. Great area. Awesome. Well, Jules has been great. Um, Final question, you know, you're a professional athlete now. I don't know if you had dreams of that when you were going through high school or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you did, but you guys are really making it a reality that, you know, uh, young lacrosse players can aspire to be a professional lacrosse player. Mm -hmm. What's one piece of advice that you have for youth lacrosse players right now? I think uh, the, the biggest thing I've learned growing growing up is, well, two things. I would say one is most people are not going to be the most naturally talented. You know, there's a, there's a few people. So you're going to have one, you're going to have to work hard, harder than everyone else. And there's going to be ups and downs. It's not going to be, it's an, it's an ebb and flow. It's not just going to be a straight line for you to get there. So mm-hmm. it's a process. It's going to be really hard. And you're going to have people that are going to tell you, you know, you're not going to make it. You're not good enough. You're not this, you're not that. But if you really set your mind to it and, you, and that's something you want to achieve, 
you know, and you really have, it's that passion, that love is there, you know, you shouldn't ever let anyone, you know, knock you down and tell you that you can't do it. That's some great advice, Jules. Uh, you know, we've really enjoyed having you on today. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and thank you guys all for listening to this episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk.